Okay, hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Transfer Window Podcast brought to you the day after Manchester United's epic 3-1 victory over PSG in Paris. Now, we were planning to record today for tomorrow morning's podcast, but given the amount of you that have been in touch on Twitter saying you're really, really looking forward to hearing our analysis of the big game, we thought we'd bring it to you early because we're always going to be here for you, our Transfer Window listeners. Now, guys, wow, what a game that was. It's the first time anyone's ever overturned a 2-0 defeat in the second leg of the last stages of the Champions League. And uh, a quite incredible, pulsating game to watch. And a great Manchester United performance, Duncan. I think, um, as you say, unprecedented result. Um, Unbelievable result in many ways. Um, Fantastic um, outcome for Manchester United. Uh, and a great night for um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of, um, I think that is him cemented as the next permanent Manchester United manager. I don't um, don't see any way um, he the Blazers choose someone else to do the job after that, um, and the fans um, and, and I think some of the you know a big majority of the players as well would um, let away with it, let them away with appointing anyone else. Um, I think the positives. Perseverance, focus from the team, um, the belief that they could win against uh, a team that had basically uh, taken them apart um, in the the leg at Old Trafford um, and had been by far superior and everyone expected, or almost everyone expected, to go through on the night um, and and do so comfortably. Um, I think they they were very cool under pressure particularly in taking the chances that presented to them themselves. Um, Romelu Lukaku's two goals, uh, both extremely well taken. Um, they're the kind of chances that, you know, when the opposition give you the ball in an unexpected way like that, um, it's always easy, I think, as a striker, um, not to put it in the net. Um, and the, the, the immediacy of his response and the ability to put in from tight, a tight angle, in particular in the first one, I thought was great. And also Marcus Rashford's penalty at the end, um, conversion of that, I thought was um, exceptional. Um, it was in many ways a bizarre game, though. Um, the, I was talking to, uh, discussing it with a coach after the match, um, and he, his comment was unbelievable. He's said to me, I think Manchester didn't create any opportunity in that game and they scored three goals. And I, I think that's a, that's a pretty good summary. Um, Paris Saint-Germain gave Manchester United their first two goals. I think the referee gave Manchester United their third goal at a, at a point in the game when there was almost no opportunity for Paris Saint-Germain to recover, albeit the referee played a, an extraordinary amount of added time at the end. Um, and I think the the praise for Solskjaer in terms of the way he um, motivated the team, retained the team's focus, gave them the belief that they could go through that match and did so with um, a, a very much hampered um, injury hit squad has got to be tempered with um, 
the fact that his tactics, his initial setup, really didn't work. Um, he played a very narrow 4-4-2. Um, Eric Bailly tucked in on the right side of the defence. He had Ashley Young in a, in a right midfield role um, where he seemed to be asking him to do two contradictory things at the same time, which was come in tight into the middle of the park to block Paris Saint-Germain's midfield and then also drop out um, to make up a back six uh, when Paris Saint-Germain were attacking. And what we saw for the first 30 minutes was Paris hitting ball after ball um, over Ashley Young and Eric Bailly's head um, for Eric Bernat to come on to, um, sorry, Juan Bernat to come on to and create chances and, and eventually score Paris's first goal. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the, the enthusiasm over the result has to be tempered a bit with the, the fact that they didn't set up very well. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain were abominable in the way they, they, uh, they played the game. Um, you should never be giving goals away like that to opposition in, in a big Champions League tie like that. And really, the Paris Saint-Germain should have scored more and taken um, further advantage of Manchester United early on. So it's one of those results in football that come along uh, very occasionally. Um, you delight in them uh, if you're a supporter, a player or a manager. But I think you also have to have um, the humility if you're a player or, or a manager to say, um, we were probably a bit fortunate to get through that one and uh, we're going to need to step up to another level if we want to go to the next round of the Champions League. Let's, um, let's climb into our DeLorean people and go back three weeks. <laughs> um, when everyone said, oh, Solskjaer's been found out, um, soon as he came up against a decent team in an elite competition, not the Premier League, uh, they lose and lose you know, really badly because it could have been 3-4-0 Paris Saint-Germain uh, at Old Trafford on that evening. Getting Dolores and come back to today and Manchester United in the quarterfinals, PSG or not. I had to keep asking myself, um, and this is something I've referred to um, recently as well in the podcast, there's nothing, nothing in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's coaching CV or experience which suggested or suggests that he could have turned that round last night. And therefore I'm asking myself, so what is it about Solskjaer that allows or perpetrates or inspires that performance? And then it hit me when I was watching his post-match press conference. Because if you listen to the way he speaks, he was at Manchester United from a very young age, and he speaks almost in a classic Manchester accent. And therefore, my conclusion has to be that performances like last night are not because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is some kind of tactical genius or magician coach. It's that Manchester United, quite frankly, are in his DNA. And he was able to inspire those players with all those injuries, all the absentees that they had. And he said it afterwards, didn't he? He said... This is what Manchester United do. This is what we do. We come back and we never give up. And I think there must be something. And we talked, you know, we were having a laugh about mythical castles and his predictions, not just for the next round of draw, but also for the results. There's something mythical about that. 
the man who scored that winning goal 20 years ago, he even got asked that horrible question that was always asked of Liverpool managers, can you invoke the Istanbul spirit? And he was asked that question pre-match, can you invoke the Camp Nou spirit? And of course he said, yes, because that's what we are, we're Manchester United. So 20 years later, he invokes the Camp Nou spirit, the man who scored that amazing goal, which gave United their first Champions League triumph, their second after um, Wembley in 68. So, I think for me, in terms of play and tactical nous, Fred and McTominay, two play, one very young and experienced player and one who's basically not had any or very much sensible game time, did to PSG what Marquinhos and Verratti did to them at Old Trafford and that was completely overwhelmed them and, and just cut out every opportunity. And even Lucky agrees with me, I can hear in the background. <laughs> and you know, I just think that, that that is special. There's something special there. Um now I also think we should remember that PSG have become the bottlers of Champions League football. Only a couple of years ago they won four 0 against Barcelona at Parc de Prince and then lost six six one in camp now, uh with another stoppage time goal that time. So um you have to say that we talk a lot about coaches' mentality, players' mentality, the ability to get results over the line. Um, they went out last night and they bottled it. They absolutely bottled it. They did have good chances, which they didn't put away. But the bottom, the bottom line in this is United had good chances that they did put away. And when Buffon, a player of his experience, spills that shot out straight to Lukaku for the second goal, if I'm PSG player, I'm thinking we're in trouble here. Duncan, uh, Ian talks about DNA there, and um, it seems to be a very important aspect of how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going about the job, is that he understands, as Ian says, the the uh, history of the club. And, and you see that with Mason Greenwood getting a, a debut at 17 years old, thrown in at the deep end in the last 16 tie of the Champions League, where literally everything is on the line. Is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer understanding the club? Is it calculated or is it just uh, horses for courses? It's what he needed to do at the time. Because it's it's movements like that that make him so popular. Well, he obviously understands the club and one of his big advantages um, as the manager of Manchester United is um, he has 20 years of experience with the club. He knows it inside out. Um, he studied uh, Alex Ferguson in great detail with the idea of becoming a manager, of um, understanding his playbook as a manager and, and implementing it once, once he became uh, a manager himself. And, and now he is at the manager of Old Trafford, where it should be the best possible place to implement it. Because if you um, talk the way he does and set a team up, um, or give the team the attitude um, and, and talk about the history of Manchester United in the way he does, then the response is going to be good. Um, I think primarily from the audience, uh, from from the support, that there's a there's a you know a desperate desire amongst the support to see Manchester United playing the way they took pride in 
under Ferguson and, and, and in, a, in a consistent manner and a consistent stance that they haven't had since Ferguson left as manager. None of his successors have, um, well, it's not quite fair to say they haven't tried to implement it, but none of, have, put, have, have stuck to it on a sustained basis. You know, Jose Mourinho said he wanted to uh, play that kind of football and said he was trying to implement it. But when things started to go wrong, he reverted to what he understands and his, his basics uh, in football, and that's, that's to be more conservative. So United supporters want that, and, and, the, and it, therefore Solskjaer's understanding of it, his ability um, to enunciate it, um, is very important. And I think it, it, it works. It certainly works with a playing staff who um, had fallen out of love with the previous manager, um, got tired of criticism, both from manage, both internally and externally, and wanted to be loved again. And, and that's what he's given them, given them, um, on top of, you know, you can see he's improved the strikers with, with individual coaching. Uh, all of the strikers talk about that, how, how he's helped them in terms of uh, being more efficient at the top end of the pitch. Um, so it's working for him, for sure. Um, something like uh, Mason Greenwood coming on at the end of the game, he didn't really have any options last night. He either stuck with um, the tired bodies he had on the field, who'd been defending for the vast majority of the game, or he brought on some fresh legs and, and Chong and, and Greenwood to try and have that extra bit of energy uh, at the end of the match. And, and also, I think, unpredictability, because the Paris Saint-Germain players would not, and coach would not have known much about Chong and Greenwood. Um, so they probably didn't have a very good idea about how they were going to play and what individual movements they were going to make in the field. So he didn't have a lot of option. It was quite clever to do it. He was never going to be criticised for doing it. Um, they were going out. Uh, it was last throw of the dice time. Um, he threw the dice and, and it, you know, it came up double six. Um, I think thanks mainly has to be said from the referee because that was not a penalty as the rules of the game are um, written, which is it has to be um, a deliberate um, handball for, it to, for a penalty for handball for a foul or a penalty to be given and there has to be movement of hand or arm to ball. Neither of the, in neither of those aspects um, did it fit. Um, they, once again, you saw VAR protocol being ignored. Um, slow motion was being used uh, and slow motion jogging back and forward to emphasise the contact. Um, they're not supposed to use that in the protocol. They're only supposed to overrule clear and obvious errors. Again, we are talking at best a marginal 50-50 um, decision on handball as we had in the World Cup final. Therefore, by definition, not a clear and obvious error. So, um, VAR shouldn't have got involved there. Uh, but that's you know you can't take anything away from um, from what Solskjaer gave to the team in extremely difficult circumstances um, because he was fortunate in terms of um, the goals Paris Saint Germain handed to him and the, the penalty that was handed to him by the referee. He did what was required to do. As I said earlier, I think the caveat is uh, don't get overexcited about what was achieved given those circumstances. That's the, you know, Solskjaer did what was necessary and what he could do. 
I need Rojo's luck to a certain extent, but you've got to remember that, that luck played a part in that victory. Ian, I think it's fair to say that all three of us on this podcast have been admirers of Jose Mourinho over the years with what he's achieved in the game. Um, but what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done to Manchester United looks absolutely terrible for the Portuguese boss, doesn't it? I, I think it's difficult to say it looks terrible <clears throat> for Mourinho. Remember, he won um, the Europa League and the League Cup in his, you know, at Manchester United in his time there. And but the turnaround, Ian, the turnaround. Yeah, the turnaround. You know what was struck me as being significant, Johnny, was um, even the during the live broadcast of the of the match last night during the flash interviews after the game, you could actually hear the Manchester United players in the dressing room singing the, the manager's name. Now that is significant, I believe, with regards to not only the turnaround, the belief that these, this group of players have in their interim manager, but also with regard to what the Glazer family and Edward would do next regarding Aldegar Solskjaer. Um, I suspect there'd be a wholesale mutiny now in the Manchester dressing room if Solskjaer was not to be appointed. So in a way, there's, um, you know, there's a gun at the head now of Woodward and the Glazers, and, the, and it's being pointed by the players, and that is to give him the job. Now, I think what he's done so far, probably, uh, not even probably, he does, he does deserve a shot at it. Um, I'm reminded of Roberto De Matteo, who came in and managed Chelsea uh, you know, in, in 2012, um, after Andre Villas-Boas was, was removed, and then went on to win the Champions League. Um, in a most unusual way, it has to be said, in that his weakest lineup, probably, of the entire Champions League campaign was the one that he put out in the final, and that was because of injuries and suspensions. He started Ryan Bertrand in the left attacking midfield role, if you remember. His Champions League debut was the final. And he went on to win, obviously, as we all know, in penalties in the Alliance Arena against Bayern Munich. So I think there's a, a sort of an analogy there with the way that um, Solskjaer's got both the players behind him, but also a bit of luck as well. And I think he's involved the players a lot more in um, how they work in training and tactically. Uh, yesterday, uh, sorry, last night, um, with so many influential and major players missing, it seemed like before the game it was an impossible task. But sometimes when you put people in that position of uh, you know, adversity, that's when they come good. And... And as I've referred to earlier, that's kind of in the DNA of Manchester United, that when things go wrong, you, you pull out your best game. Um, I remember being in um, the old Stadio Delle Alpi in 1999 for the same final, when um, after a, a draw at Old Trafford, Alessandro uh, Del Piero put Juventus 2-0 up within, in the first half. Roy Keane then got, gets booked, knowing he'll miss the final and effectively inspires and motivates the great, one of the greatest comebacks that I've seen in, in, in the history of football, certainly in the history of the European Cup, for United to win 3-2 and go to the final. And he and Scholes missed the final because of yellow cards in that game. And what I saw in the game last night was players playing for their manager, players playing for each other, players playing for the badge, for the club, for the shirt. And 
yes, you need a bit of luck, and Duncan rightly points out that luck was there with the VAR decision on the handball. But every team who's going to win a major trophy needs luck along the way. Um, and with Solskjaer, it seems like the, the, the stars are aligning for him in the sense that, you know, if we had any doubt at all, even the, the smallest, that he wasn't going to be appointed manager uh, full-time for next season, then I think those were allayed after, after this result. And look, in some ways, the turnaround is the easy part. You're right, the turnaround looks very bad for the previous manager. But quite often, the easy part is coming in, um, especially to a, a dressing room that's discontented and wanted the previous manager to go. Because you get, you're almost guaranteed a response from the players. You're almost guaranteed more running. You're almost guaranteed more focus. You're almost guaranteed um, players coming out of the treatment room and making themselves available for play. All of which happened at Manchester United. The, the more rational comparison is um, if Solskjaer is still there two and a half years down the line, compare his two and a half years to the previous two and a half years. Uh, the question will be, will he have won two major trophies and been to three major finals? Uh, will he have got Manchester United to second in the league? Or will he have done even better? And there's your comparison. Um, that, that's the real analysis of who is better who has done a better job at Manchester oh, no, United. I, I, I totally agree. Duncan, Duncan yeah. I, to, I totally agree with that. And I was also um, thinking that if you compare, um, you know, again, coaching careers, when Jose Mourinho came to Chelsea in 2004 from Porto, he turned a club which had not won the championship in 50 years into a title-winning side. And... While Portugal is obviously a much more major football nation than Norway is, um, there are some reasonable comparisons with regards to youth and experience, etc., etc., despite the fact, obviously, Mourinho had won the Champions League with Porto um, in that season, which had gotten to that point. But um, I do think that um, there is a, an opportunity for Solskjaer to try and emulate... Um, a young Jose Mourinho, or in fact Mourinho was younger than, than Solskjaer is now coming into this big job because he, he's had the, the perfect start almost um, and he may well go on to win a trophy this season with Manchester United. Um, so he's earned his, his shot at the big time, but I agree with you. Um, the time to judge him on, on any Manchester United manager, never mind uh, just Jose Mourinho, will be two and a half years from now and see what he's managed to do. And indeed, if he has survived. Uh, Duncan, just before we finish up here, just a, a word on PSG. Ian's talked about them. Where does this leave the whole project? Because Champions League results have been appalling for the last five years. Thomas Tuchel's in, in serious danger. Um, he was appointed to uh, improve their Champions League performances. Um, you know, they, they've gone out in the... Uh, in the last 16, um, sorry, in the quarterfinals every year uh, for several years now, um, the, the, we all know that Qatar bought the club to win the Champions League. They pumped uh, over a billion euros into the club to win the Champions League. They know they're going to win in France, uh, guaranteed almost whoever they put in charge of uh, the team. Um, therefore... <laughs> yeah, and what happened to Unai? Um, so the 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 project 
and Tuchel was well aware of this, was to improve them in the Champions League, if not to win the Champions League. Um, I think that the, the pressure effectively was to get to a Champions League final this year. Um, I think last night's performance for him is, I'm not going to say it's deadly, but it's, gonna, it's close to mortal because the game was won, the tie was won. All they needed to do was put an average performance and a controlled performance in, and they're through with a 2-0 lead with two away goals um, with a stronger squad of players on the pitch, stronger squad in general. Uh, the manager has to win. And if the players lack focus in a game um, to the point where they're giving free goals to the opposition and one straight off, you know, almost straight after kickoff, that comes down to the manager ultimately. That is a controllable for a manager to ensure his players are focused. And I, you know, I've, I've praised Tuchel um, for the, the mental focus his players were showing in some of the Champions League games earlier this season when their um, passage through to the knockout rounds was in doubt. I mean, they were exceptional against Liverpool um, in, in the home tie when they had to win. The, the way their defenders played, uh, to keep their lead at the end of the game. You saw them congratulating each other on blocks and tackles. It was immense. And, and you saw what you saw there was a group of very talented players um, with a huge desire uh, and, uh, and focus to ensure they didn't get knocked out. And, and I thought um, because Tuchel had managed to achieve that um, earlier in the competition, that, that that bode well for them in the knockout rounds because that has been... Um, Paris's downfall in recent years. They've been in, they've got into situations of big advantage, notably the Barcelona uh, tie, and, and they've thrown them away. But he's let it go. Um, the owner uh, of the club, uh, the Emir of Qatar, is not a patient man. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think Tuchel is waiting to see. Um, and also, uh, it's not just Tuchel here, it's the um, director of football, Antero Enrique. His job is also on the line. I, I checked last night. I was told um, nothing, no decision to be made, um, but was told that <laughs> yeah, don't, we can't predict which way it will go here. So, um, yes, it, it's one to observe. Um, as, we, as we talked about in the transfer window a few weeks ago, um, Neymar... Uh, has been targeted by Real Madrid and um, and is keen to leave. I mean, saw an interview um, from Neymar um, with Brazilian media, an extensive interview with Brazilian media last week, where he pretty much said, um, when, "When a player, when a club like Real Madrid shows their interest in you, every player is going to be interested." Um, uh, and uh, for now, I'm in P I'm at Paris Saint Germain. I don't see any need to leave, but. Uh, in three months' time, who knows what the situation will be. So um, uh, I, th I think that tells you that the Neymar to Madrid story is very much real and in play. Um, and actually, this is probably... We saw Neymar's reaction to the result um, on, uh, on social media. Um, didn't hold back in, in criticising the VAR um, and, uh, and the referees involved. And I, I wonder if an element of that anger in Neymar's part was um, was thinking, uh, damn, I'm going to be stuck at PSG for another year now because we haven't done well in the Champions League. And if I need to convince the, 
the owners to let me go, this is going to make it more difficult. Uh, having just just to update as well, Duncan, I spoke to um, a contact this morning regarding last night's result, and um, from what I gleaned from that conversation, I think Josie Mourinho now has a second choice other than Real Madrid, and that will be PSG in the summer. Okay, guys, we're going to call time on the Transfer Window podcast there, but fear not, we're going to be back tomorrow. Yes, that's two podcasts in two days. Don't say we're not here for you and your listening needs. Now, on the agenda tomorrow is a deep dive into the IFAB rule changes that are uh, highly topical at the moment, given what went on in the later stages of Manchester United's victory over PSG. And we're going to look ahead to Manchester United's uh, visit to London against Arsenal, where the two sides will face off in a 5th v 4th battle. We'll also be looking at a combined 11 um, of the two sides with their best players from the Premier League era. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.